Zechariah chapter number 1. Zechariah chapter number 1. And we're going to read verse 18 through the end of the chapter here as we deal with these four verses. Zechariah chapter number 1. And let's begin reading with verse number 18. Zechariah writes, Then lifted I up mine eyes, and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said unto the angel that talked with me, What be these? And he answered me, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And the Lord showed me four carpenters. Then said I, What come these to do? And he spake, saying, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head, but these are come to fray them, to cast out the horns of the Gentiles, which lifted up their horn over the land of Judah, to scatter it. We know that the devil despises God's promises concerning both Israel and the church. We, talk, we sang standing on the promises a while ago and the promises of God are blessed, aren't they? They are blessed indeed. And uh, Satan is behind the persecution of both Israel and the church because of in, his intense hatred, his utter hatred of God and everything associated with God. Now, we know that Satan intended to prevent the Messiah's birth in Bethlehem, but he failed. He tried to corrupt the situation all along the way and tried to prevent it from happening. When he could not prevent Messiah's birth, he sought to have him killed as a young child by Herod the king. Uh, but he failed to do that too. According to Matthew chapter number 2, the Lord protected uh, his only begotten son. Then during Christ's earthly ministry, Satan sought to have Christ killed before his time. He wanted to kill him in his way before his time, but he failed time and time again to do that. But when the fullness of time was come, and when the Lord decided to give his life as a ransom, Christ went willingly to the cross and gave his life a ransom for all. And no doubt the devil thought he finally had victory over God. But the grave could not hold our Lord. Christ arose three days later, showed himself alive for 40 days on the earth before he ascended to his Father's throne. Jesus, the Messiah, is coming again one day in great power and great glory uh, to set up his kingdom in Israel. And, and, and Satan won't be able to do anything about that either. Amen. In fact, while that kingdom's going on, he'll be all bound up. <laughs> Amen. Be taken out of the way. Jesus uh, um, is uh, at his first advent, Jesus conquered the devil along with death, hell, and the grave. And he redeemed, he provided redemption for the world on Calvary's cross. At his second advent, Christ will destroy the anti-Jew and anti-Christian empire. That's what we're looking at. 
And that is what uh, this vision uh, is about. And as we look at both history and current world affairs, it seems as though these four horns uh, heard what the Lord had promised Israel, and now they're doing all they can, can to prevent this promise from being fulfilled. Uh, we know that it really wasn't the four horns that heard it, but uh, rather Satan, the one who, who leads them, that overheard. And, and he knows Jerusalem's future and has uh, been using the nations to resist God's plan for centuries. This is Satan's battle against the one who promised to choose Jerusalem again. To choose Jerusalem again. And as the prince and God of the nations, Satan's going to lead that assault uh, against Israel. He was behind uh, the previous assaults. He was behind the Pharaoh of Egypt in trying to prevent the Jews from reaching the promised land. And uh, I want you to look at what uh, Isaiah writes. Uh, I'm going to try not to have you turn to too many places tonight. Isaiah 51 um, look at uh, verse 9 through 11 here in Isaiah 51. As we think about um, the old dragon and what he's trying to do. Isaiah 51 verse 9 says, Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient days and the generations of old. Art thou not it that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? Art thou not it which hath dried the sea, the waters of the great deep, that hath made the depths of the sea a way for the ransom to pass over? Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They, they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. Now, there's been a lot of, of, of sadness and mourning in the life of Israel, the nation of Israel, but one day that's all going to be in the rearview mirror. Uh, it's all going to be in the past. Uh, we know that this same dragon is the one who opposes Israel in these last days with the intention of destroying God's promises and preventing Jesus' return. Um, Revelation 12, verse 13 says, When the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman, and that would be Israel, which brought forth the man-child, that would be Christ. Revelation 12, verse 17, The dragon was wroth with the woman, wroth with Israel, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which kept the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now we know in more recent history um, how the dragon has used the Gentile nations to oppose Israel. I mean, who was behind the Holocaust? It was Satan. And we, we know that. Who's behind Islam and the hatred that they have for the Jews? It's no doubt that it's Satan. You know? Uh, who is behind all of the hatred for the Jews today? And boy, there's a lot of it. I mean, it's like every day it's coming through the, the, the news waves. I mean, we we're seeing the news reports, and uh, um, it's just uh, unreal. I, uh, I, I was forget the news report that I was, was uh, taking a look at, but they're trying to sway the president right now. 
And uh, he's got 100 employees uh, that are going to walk out uh, some particular department. I don't remember even what it was. but they, And it's all over his support of uh, the Jews trying to get him to not uh, support the Jews in any way. And his support is weak at best anyway, as it is. But we notice here in verse 18, we notice the first thing, the, the watchfulness of the prophet. Zechariah 1.18. He said, Then I then lifted I up mine eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. Lifted up mine eyes. Uh, the Lord gave Zechariah this revelation during the night. The prophet lifted up his eyes and saw. And this, this action illustrates a continued, continuous watchfulness in the middle of the night. Can I tell you that we are living... Um, in the evening of spiritual history, we really are. Uh, the night is growing darker and darker around us, and, and that's why we need to watch. God wants us to understand his plan for the end times. And if we're spiritually asleep, then we're going to dream right through the important spiritual events of our time. Now, the Lord had a reason for saying to his disciples in Mark 13, 37, he told them these words. He says, what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. What I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. You know, it's very important that we concern ourselves with the prophetic word of the Bible and try to understand its meaning just as Daniel did in his time, and Daniel 9, 22 says, And he, talking about Gabriel, and he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. He had an angel to help him. Listen, God can give us understanding too if we'll just ask for the understanding. Now, Zechariah was the type of man who immediately asked for an explanation when he didn't understand something. Um, that's a good way to be. Uh, we notice that in verse number 9 uh, that we've dealt with before. It says there in verse number 9, Then said I, O my Lord, what are these? Talking about those uh, horses, the, the red horses speckled in white that were, were there behind him. Uh, then in verse number 19 that we read a while ago, um, and it says in verse, it says, And I said unto the angel that talked with me, What be these? Uh, and talking about the four horns. What are the four horns? What are they all about? And then verse 21. And said, I, what come these to do? Uh, we're talking about the, the, um, the carpenters that he saw. And uh, uh, what, what were they there for? And that's, you probably had a question this morning when I announced, the, uh, announced what I was going to be preaching on tonight. Four horns and four carpenters, what in the world is that about? And that's a good way to be. We ought to want to come and find out what it's all about. Daniel did the same thing with his friends when he needed to interpret King Nebuchadnezzar's dream over in Daniel chapter number 2. Remember that? Daniel went to uh, and let Shadrach, what we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, let them know you know, his companions there that they would, uh, he wanted them to pray and ask for God to reveal to him uh, the dream that uh, he was supposed to interpret 
for King Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, he needed help. Daniel couldn't do it alone. Can I tell you, we're not able to do things like this alone. You're not going to be able to understand these things all by yourself. You need God's help. Thank God He's given us the Holy Spirit to help us with these things. And we have the Word of God to be able to compare Scripture with Scripture. That's, that's a blessing too. Um, and we got a blessing uh, that is given to us uh, regarding Revelation. The book of the Revelation, a lot of folks just avoid it at all costs because it's just, they think it's too deep, it's too, uh, too uh, shaded in mystery. But there's a blessing that goes about with uh, reading the book of Revelation, just reading it and, and hearing the, 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 that book. Revelation 1.3 says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. Time is at hand because we're, we're living in those last days. We're living in that, that time just before uh, the tribulation period and the coming kingdom of the Lord after that. So just as the prophet Zechariah was watchful, could I tell you that we also need to be watchful? We need to be watchful. Second thing, we notice the meaning of these four horns. The meaning of these four horns. Now, the four horns symbolize the Gentile nations and their endless enmity against Judah and Israel and especially against Jerusalem. I mean, basically that's the interpretation that are, that's given there in the latter part of verse 19. These are the horns which have scattered Judah Israel and Jerusalem. They were responsible for um, uh, uh, hurting uh, God's people. Now, horns in the Bible represent power. They indicate almost invincible strength and political power. You think about a horn of an animal, such as a cow or, or a goat. Now, having been raised on a farm, I, I understood firsthand that those horns gave them an advantage. Amen. There was some power behind those things. And I tried to avoid those things where you were talking a goat or whether you were talking a cow. We had, we had horns on. My, bet, my favorite animals were the polled Herefords. They didn't have horns. They didn't have to worry about them, one of them hooking you. Uh, but uh, uh, horns represent power. That's the power of those animals. Um, listen to Micah 4 and verse 13. And it talks about uh, a horn and, the, and the, the strength. It says, Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make thine horn, thy power, thy horn iron, and I will make thy hooves brass, and thou shalt beat in pieces many people, and I will consecrate their gain unto the Lord and their substance unto the Lord of the whole earth. Even in the book of Re the Revelation, Revelation 13, 11, talks about horns. As it says, and I stood upon the sea, sand of the sea, and I saw and a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his ten horns, uh, upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. The horns again representing power. Um, Revelation seventeen verse twelve, and the, the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have. Uh, no kingdom is yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. Oh, what I'm trying to get you to see, a horn represents uh, power. I'm not going to take time to turn to the book of Daniel 
and read over there uh, for the sake of my, uh, my voice uh, giving out. But uh, let me give you some uh, uh, things that you can look up regarding the horn. Daniel 7, 24. Daniel chapter number 8, verse 8 and 9. And also Daniel 8, verse 20 through 22. They give you some additional reading as you read about horns. And in Zechariah's case, these horns also symbolize the, the power of the nations uh, as, they do, as horns symbolize power in other places in Scripture. These are the power of the nations that are against Israel. Notice that last part of verse 19 again. So these are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Now, we notice the third thing. Here's the third thing. We notice who these horns represent. These horns represent the four world empires revealed to Daniel in the book of Daniel, chapter number 2. What are the four world empires? Well, during Zechariah's time, the two had taken place, uh, Babylon and Persia. Uh, the Babylonian kingdom was the first. Uh, remember we said that um, the Gentiles began to tread down Jerusalem during the days of King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and that continues to this day. They, they, uh, um, the time of the times of the Gentiles are still on. But you got Babylon, you got Persia, um, and then you've got Greece and Rome. Uh, Babylon, of course, was the head of gold there in Daniel 2. Uh, Persia was the breast and arms of silver. Uh, Greece was the belly and thighs of brass and the legs of iron and feet uh, that were part of iron and part of clay being Rome. And during Zechariah's time, there had only been, as I said, there had only been two world empires, Babylon and Persia. Yet in chapter 9 of Zechariah, look at Zechariah 9 and verse 13, uh, Greece is mentioned here. Um, we're still a few centuries in the future, uh, but notice verse 13, chapter 9, verse 13, when I have, have bent Judah for me, filled the, the bow with Ephraim, and raised up thy sons, O Zion, against thy sons, O Greece, and made thee as the sword of a mighty man. Greece is mentioned there, and um, he also saw Rome follow Greece, and Zechariah recognized that Satan will continue to oppose and oppress Israel, just as they're still doing today, uh, through hostile nations to, to try to prevent the Lord from ruling in Jerusalem, as he promised in Zechariah 1 that we saw in verses 12 through 17 last time that we, that we were in the book here. Now, the Jews clung to Jerusalem in their hearts. Even though they were dispersed in 70 A.D. by the Romans, they were dispersed out of the land, scattered across the world, and uh, they're still, uh, even though there's an a influx of, of, Israel, of Jews back in the nation, and they are going back in the nation, but they're still far flung. They're still all over the world. You can find Jews just about in every corner. In fact, uh, uh, kind of amazing whenever you think about uh, these, uh, um, there's some Jewish agencies that, uh, like International Board of Jewish Missions, um, they, they are 
to the Jew first and also to the Greek, but they they, they look to minister primarily to the Jews, and um, they're in odd places that you wouldn't think Jews, to the Jews in Mexico. There's Jews in Mexico, I guess so. They minister to them down there, um, in different uh, different places. You know, I, uh, as you uh, I, sometimes I get uh, prayer cards, people going different odd places that you wouldn't think there would be Jews, but they are. They're scattered all over the the world because of the dispersion that uh, took place in AD seventy by the by the Romans by, by the Romans. Now, the Jews clung to Jerusalem in their hearts during the centuries of their dispersion. Uh, countless Jews died far from their homeland, but uh, their, their hearts were nonetheless in Jerusalem. They're, they had that hope in them of returning, wanting to be back in Jerusalem someday. Amen? Uh, they're, they're, this hope is expressed by the words... In Psalm 137, verse 5 and 6, listen to this. Psalm 137, verse 5 and 6. If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. Um, These four horns... um, that we see here are also represent the Gentile nation's worldwide hostility toward Israel because the number four represents north, south, east, west. Okay, you got the four directions, and so these Gentile nations uh, are uh, uh, it's a worldwide hostility against the Jew. We know that Israel is hated all over the world. It's not uh, not a surprise to us. Because the world is under the dragon's rule. Uh, uh, and the Jews have always been surrounded by a threatening world. Now, Zechariah wrote that one day all of the nations would gather, um, they were going to attack the Jews, and that all the nations would gather against Jerusalem. Uh, we're going to be dealing with this later when we get in. Zechariah chapter number 12, and in Zechariah 12, verse 2 and 3, uh, the Lord says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about, when they shall be in the siege of both against Judah and against Jerusalem. Can you feel the hatred? You can you almost feel it just reading that, can't you? So says, In that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. They're, they're going to be just so livid, I guess would be a good word, against Israel. And it's going to be like a boomerang. Their hatred toward Israel is going to not hurt Israel like it's going to hurt them. Um, now, the Bible leaves no doubt that all the nations will focus on Israel, and uh, that will take place at the, in the Valley of Megiddo, at the, at the uh, Battle of Armageddon, uh, Revelation 16, 14, for they are the spirits of the devils, working miracles, which go forth to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to battle of that great 
day of God Almighty. Now, according to Revelation chapter 17, the nations will give their power to this one horn, the Antichrist, and uh, him being inspired by the, by the uh, dragon, he will lead the nations into war against Israel. And yet we know that nothing and nobody, neither in heaven nor on earth nor under the earth, will be able to destroy the promises of the Lord to his people. Every word that, that uh, God has promised the Jew will be fulfilled. It's true. Now, the fourth thing we notice here is in verse 20. These four carpenters. We notice the four carpenters. Um, the word translated as carpenters in verse 20 comes from a Hebrew word that means a fabricator of any material. A fabricator of any material. It's translated in other places in the Old Testament as artificer, carpenter, craftsman, engraver, maker, mason, skillful, smith, worker, workman. You get the idea? Okay. And Psalm 7510, uh, the Lord said, uh, quote, All the horns of the wicked also will I cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. So the horn, these, these carpenters are uh, to go against the, the horns of the wicked. Amen. Um, and the horns of the righteous are going to be exalted. These carpenters will be used by God to terrify the horns, and cut them off. How will it be done? How will it happen? Well, the four carpenters oppose the four horns. Uh, Isaiah 54 verse 16 says, Behold, I have created the smith. And remember that word smith is the same as carpenter. Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the waster to destroy. Uh, in days past, uh, the Lord used individual world empires to destroy the one preceding it. Uh, he did this for very specific reason recorded uh, that we see here in uh, Zechariah 1 verse 15 when he last week we saw he says I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease for I was but a little displeased they helped forward the affliction now if you study um, the Babylonian uh, overcoming of Jerusalem and carrying them away into captivity and all, all that surrounds that you will you will come to understand that uh, God's hand, was in uh, his people being carried away into captivity. Uh, he, he allowed that to happen, okay? Uh, but they went too far, okay? They went too far. Uh, they, they, the purpose that he raised them to do that, they went beyond what they should have. And so the, that's why the Lord brought against them uh, the, the Medes and the Persians. And um, so... Uh, we we know here that uh, the, the the first um, Persia the, the first carpenter overcame Babylon. Persia was the first carpenter and overcame Babylon. Persia's king Cyrus was raised up by God Himself as a carpenter um, and was destined to conquer Babylon. 
God's infinite wisdom, power, and love for Israel is revealed in the words uh, in the book of Isaiah. Look at Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45. It's amazing here what we find. Isaiah 45 and um, verses 1 through 4 here. Isaiah 45. And note that this was before Cyrus even existed. Okay. Verse 1, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, he calls him by name, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him. I will loose the loins of kings to open uh, before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places. Thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am God of Israel. For Jacob my servant's sake and mine Israel mine's elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. (laughs) Amazing, isn't it? Um, We know that Cyrus conquered Babylon, gave Israel the freedom to return to Jerusalem. But but what is amazing is that about 200 years before Cyrus um, did that, God called him by by name. Um, In fact, there in Isaiah 44, verse 28, uh, he says, He is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. That's a carpenter, isn't it? Is um, and that's exactly what happened. The Lord chose in Cyrus a carpenter to terrify the horn of Babylon and cut it off. Daniel 5.6 describes how the Babylonian king Belshazzar was reduced to fear and trembling on the night Persia attacked and conquered him. Remember the handwriting on the wall? In the time following Cyrus, Persia suffered a defeat and the Persian Empire also opposed Israel. Um, Then the Lord awakened another carpenter, Greece. The second carpenter overcame Persia. Of course, Greece uh, was led by Alexander the Great. He's mentioned in particular, though not by name, in the book of Daniel. Um, His kingdom is described, and don't have time to to deal with this. If you want to go study it, Daniel 2, Daniel chapter number 7, and Daniel chapter number 8. Daniel chapter number 2, Daniel 7, and Daniel 8. But his kingdom is described in those chapters as Persia's successor. It is said that Alexander the Great treated the Jews in a very friendly manner. Uh, But after his early death, the empire was divided, and it also ended up opposing Israel. And this took place mainly under the one that's called the Little Horn in uh, Daniel chapter number 8, King Antiochus Epiphanes, who came from Syria, who's mentioned there in Daniel 8. So God awakened another carpenter who cut off the horn of Greece and broke its power. Rome, 
the third carpenter, overcame Greece. Rome is also mentioned in those chapters I gave you in Daniel, Daniel 2, 7, and 8. Those are chapters, okay? Daniel 2, 7, and 8. And in the book mentioned also in the book of Revelation was the mightiest empire as well as the one that lasted the longest. Now, the Romans ruled Israel during the time that Jesus was born and destroyed Jerusalem in 70 A.D., previously said that and scattered the Jews were scattered at that time Julius Caesar was Rome's first and probably his greatest leader Rome's fall did not transpire through a, a carpenter taking over a world rulership as with the preceding empires rather Rome experienced an inner decay it degenerated it lost wars divided itself and eventually fell kind of like what our country's doing right now. Inner decay. Crumble from within. Um, degenerated. That's a good word to describe it, isn't it? Our, our, our nation has become degenerated. Um, and uh, divide, divided? Yeah. Yeah, we're a divided people. And eventually uh, uh, such a nation will fall. Why didn't it suffer the same fate as the empires before it? Well, the Bible shows that Rome will experience a new revival, the revived Roman Empire is going to revive up in the end times and will become the last world empire with ten horns. Now, the revived Roman Empire will introduce the political Antichrist. All of the preceding empires will be united in this last world empire, according to Revelation chapter number 13 and verse number 1 and 2. And all the nations will turn against Israel and attempt to destroy her. But this revived Roman Empire will be destroyed by Jesus' return according to Revelation 17 and verse 14. Now, Messiah Jesus is the fourth carpenter. Okay? He's the one that's going to take care of Rome. You one that's going to take care of the Roman Empire. Messiah Jesus is the fourth carpenter. Jesus himself will conquer the anti-Semitic and anti-Christian empire. We read of him and his future in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. It says, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Stand forever. The Lord Jesus is a special kind of carpenter. Look at the description of, of his future kingdom in Isaiah chapter number 2. Look at Isaiah chapter number 2. And um, four, four verses here. Isaiah 2. Look at verse number 1 through 4 here. Verse 1. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Okay? And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. Many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, he will teach us of his ways, 
and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord uh, from Jerusalem. He shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Now, I want us to turn to one last place here. Um, look at Exodus chapter number 27. And uh, I want us to look back to the four horns of God's grace that are found on the brazen altar in Exodus 27, verse 1 and 2. Here, instruction was given of making the altar. And in Exodus 27, verse 1, Thou shalt make an altar of shittim wood, five cubits long, five cubits broad. The altar shall be four square, and the height thereof shall be three cubits. Thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof. His horns shall be of the same. Thou shalt overlay it with brass. And you notice the horns, horns upon the four corners there. And this was the brazen altar upon which the whole burnt offering was sacrificed. And it points, it actually points to Calvary, uh, where Messiah died for his people and all of mankind. Uh, these four horns of the altar symbolize God's superior power compared to all other world powers. And he is far superior. Um, can, can you imagine daring to go against the God of the universe? <laughs> How silly of a thought is that, anyway? Well, we know the power of his forgiveness is stronger than the power of sin, amen? And it reaches to the ends of the earth. Atonement was to be accomplished once a year on the horns of, of the, this altar with the blood, as they would shed the animal the, the, uh, uh, for the, uh, uh, on the Day of Atonement, uh, those horns would have blood from that animal uh, put on them. Uh, the altar with the blood of the sin offering for the people of Israel. Thus in Exodus 30, verse 10, Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations, it is most holy unto the Lord. Now Israel's great day of atonement, uh, I don't think it's very far off. Uh, she will grasp the four horns of grace and forgiveness and look upon that sacrifice according to, to Zechariah 12.10. They're going to look upon the one who they pierced. Amen. And they will be saved. Um, what I don't know what that does to you. Can you visualize that happening as they view Christ and they come to realize that uh, who He really is? Israel's great day of atonement, uh, as they're touched uh, about that, Exodus 29:37 says, "Whosoever touches the altar shall be holy." Amen. God's people will then receive forgiveness and holiness, and all of that's going to take place in a single day. In a single day. In fact, uh, Zechariah 3 9 says, I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. 
what it says. The Lord says, I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. Zechariah 3, 9. And Zechariah 14, 20 says, And that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses uh, holiness unto the Lord. And the pots of, uh, in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls <laughs> before the altar. I'm just about done. Okay, got one more paragraph here. And my, my voice is about to go. Uh, the Lord will achieve this goal. Uh, he's going to achieve his goal with Israel and his church uh, also. And the gates of hell will not prevail against them. For the rulers of this world will pass away. But Jesus Christ is coming back. The question is, are you ready for his coming? Amen. If not, you better get ready. Amen. Jesus is coming. Let's be ready. Let's pray. Father.